You're listening to 92Y Talks. In this episode, beloved actress Judith Light sits down with her transparent co-star Jeffrey Tambor to discuss their acclaimed hit series on Amazon. The conversation was recorded on December 14, 2015 in front of a live audience at New York's 92nd Street Y. With the people. With you. Yo. Well, this is a New York moment. I'll say. My goodness. Kind of where we started. Yeah. Are we going to tell them about all that? <laughs> Never mind. No. I just thought I'd bring it up. And... <laughs> so my mission here is to, don't, I'm trying to give you the thing. Oh, you you're, oh, sweetheart. Yes. This is what. But we, this is like us having call. Oh. About this. <laughs> the funniest um, man I know. Um, so when I, uh, when I tell people that I'm working with uh, certain actors, they go, oh, I like that actor. Oh, gee, that's wonderful actor. Oh, good. When I tell people I'm working with Judith Light, they go, oh, <laughs> love her. <laughs> I'm working with Judith Light. <gasps> so I'm honored to be in your company tonight. So we'll talk. Good, let's have a conversation. Yeah. So you started in Trenton? <laughs> no, 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 honey, that's not a conversation. Oh. <laughs> yes, I started, I started in Trenton, New Jersey. That's what right. was that like? What were your formative years like? Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, you knew my parents. Sid. And Sue. Sue. And um, that's all he has to say about them. And that's, <laughs> um, I, I had really incredibly supportive parents. But they both wanted to be in show business, and so. Well, your mom was in show business. Well, anyway. she dabbled. I mean, she would, you know, she was at Trenton State College, and she was in the chorus of, you know, some one of those musicals that everybody did, right? But when they saw that I was interested in being an actress and being in the theater and doing all of this, I think all of their focus really just went right there. Yeah. And so they were incredibly supportive. Mm -hmm. And as I was growing up, uh, they would take me to classes, and I would. You know, piano and dancing. You know, I mean, it was the whole, it was the whole nine yards. But really, when I started to do community theater, and I was uh, going to a girls' school in Burlington, New Jersey, mm -hmm. and there was an extraordinary woman there. What was her, her name, name was. It was, the, it was called St. Mary's Hall. You, you, a Jewish yes, young girl a, went we're, to St. Mary's. Oh, is this where we're gonna go? Uh, okay, <laughs> okay. Yes, I was, I was one of six Jewish girls oh my goodness. in St. Mary's Hall. Wow. Did I never tell you about this? No. And, uh, oh, my God. We Did they assign numbers? Oh, no. <laughs> one, two, how three, long is four, this talk? How, lo how long is this? Five, six. Right, yeah, right. We had chapel every morning. Stop it. Stop it. I had to wear a chapel veil. Oh, my God. And we sang all of the... The songs. I mean, we walked down. We had a, a, you know, we had a hymnals and all of that stuff. And anyway, but the the point of this was that the the woman who was the drama uh, teacher at the school was really amazing to me and very supportive. And what she helped me do was be in community theater. So I would go after school, and it was about forty five minutes from my house in Trenton. Mm -hmm. And I would go and I would eat dinner at her house, and then I would go to rehearsals, and I did do the Diary of Anne Frank, so I hope that mitigates any of the St. Mary's Hall stuff for you. And, um, and my father, who worked in the institutional food business, and that meant he was in the fruit and produce business, and he uh, would get up at 2, 3 o'clock every morning to make sure that the hospitals and the schools and all those people had all the food that they needed for the day. And he would come every night and drive out to Burlington, to the Burlington County Footlighters, and pick me up from rehearsal. And it was usually done at around 10 o'clock. Mm. And he would sleep in the car and wait for me. Oh, God. So those were the kinds of parents that I had. Wow. And so it was always, there was never any question about what I would do or where I would go. This was the thing that I was going to do. And there was never any question about it. Wow. And then you went to Carnegie Tech? And then I went to Carnegie Tech, which has now become Carnegie Mellon University. Right. But I was there when it was Carnegie Tech. Right. That's how old I am. 
I was there before the Andrew Carnegie even lived. That, that's right. <laughs> this is, but you know, we both graduated from school the same year. Right. So when I graduated from Carnegie, there were 60 people who came into my class and there were only 15 of us that were graduating. And it, it's, was a, it's a very rigorous program. Right. And um, we had the TCG auditions. Right. Speak. That's right. Explain the TCG. The TCG is the Theater Communications Group auditions. And they are auditions that were held. They don't have them anymore. Right, four minutes. That's right. One comedy right. and one tragedy. One tragedy. <laughs> right. One not comedy. One, one not comedy. And it was, you had to do these two monologues. And they judged you on, and they had preliminaries that were in New York. Right? right? And then they had, I keep saying right to him because I have very little memory left and he has more memory than I do. And, 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 and then we did preliminaries in New York and then we did finals in Chicago. And we were both uh, accepted to go to the finals in Chicago after New York. And what we got was this roster, all the artistic directors from all the repertory theater companies around the country came to those auditions. And so they went around, do you remember they went around with a bell? Yes. And so you had maybe five minutes to talk to whatever person it was and they were gonna offer you uh, a season if they did. And so we had a lot of people to talk to as I recall. I think you had, I mean, everybody wanted to talk to you because you were, uh, you were amazing. This is what you do, don't do this. Okay. <laughs> see, you see what she does? She makes you the star. This is, I'm interviewing you. This is about you. You're the Hesedander. You know what a Hesedander? No. And that's a, and that's a Jewish expression right. that you've never used with me. A Hesedander is the person in the back of the shul. All the kids are running around. It's the old Jewish man who goes, hey, hey, sit down there. <laughs> but you're the Hesedander. Is it any wonder I want to make him the center of it? You're the Hesedander. I'm the Hesedander. So, so anyway, so we, so we were in Chicago and I, I had this list and one of the, and one of the, and one of the, several of them, one of them was the Milwaukee Repertory Theater right. and one was, was Seattle Rep. Right. And when I graduated, I got a really great offer from Milwaukee and I went to uh, the Milwaukee Rep after I graduated from Carnegie Tech. And I was there for one year with an artistic director named Tunch Allman. <laughs> and then Tunch left. Right. And Nagel Jackson, who is still a very dear friend of both of ours, came in and he said, I'm going to keep you on for this company that I'm putting together. And he said, I want to put together a company of actors that would become almost like a national company. And I remember we did a play. The first play that we did of the season was called Cat Among the Pigeons. And it was a Fado farce. And he brought in these other people that he had known. And I don't know where you worked with Nagel before. But Seattle, uh, San Diego. San Diego. And we did this play and it was, Clive Barnes came out to review it and talked about this company. And that was the first time mm -hmm. that we had worked together. Right. Yeah. I, I have a, a question. So yeah. then you came mm -hmm. to New York and then uh, you did your, your uh, what were your, um, I, wa I want to get to, I want to get to a moment. Okay. Um, so here you are, you're doing Shakespeare, you're doing Measure for Measure, you're doing all of this stuff, and then all of a sudden... You mean in Milwaukee and yes, Repertory Theater? Right, right. Okay. and I know you yeah. went in, in, in California, Shakespeare, you know, all of that. Right. So then you have this period, uh, and you're in New York, and this is when I think I, I, I met you. Um, you were offered a, uh, a very commercial offer, and it was called One Life to Live. Oh, right. well. <clears throat> and I, I, I want to talk about that because you seem to be an actor uh, who, no matter where you nest, you make a family. And I was even noticing it backstage with the 74 handlers that you have. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I'm a lot to handle. <laughs> <laughs> And you make, a, you make a family, even here, you make, you make a family. And uh, I, I, I know that you and Bob, your, your, your husband, Robert, uh, met on One Life to Live. Mm -hmm. How was that decision? How, I know that you've staunchly defended your decision because they came to you as an understudy? 
the call? Talk about it. Um, I've talked about the precursor to that mm -hmm. time quite a lot, and so I'll, I'll just give you the, the, the short version, but really what had happened was I had come up against the, this sort of existential moment mm -hmm. in my life. Mm -hmm. And it really involved the pictures that I had had about my career mm -hmm. and what I was going to do and who I was going to be. And I had been going from repertory theater to repertory theater to Shakespeare to this to that. And I had no sense of satisfaction because I had no sense of a life. And I didn't realize that until later and until I actually met Herb Hampshire, who has been my manager for 35 years. But I didn't, I, I thought that this career was going to give me everything that I needed and wanted in my life. Because as I said before, I was starting from when I was very, very little. And because I wasn't getting the parts that I wanted to get, or that the work that was coming to me wasn't fitting the picture that I had about what I thought I should be getting, or what kind of um, career I should be having that was in my head and what I needed to be doing, because as far as I was concerned, I was only gonna do theater and f feature films. I wasn't gonna do anything else, mm -hmm. because that's what a person of stature should be doing. And I came to New York and I was sitting down in my parents' living room and I said to them, and they were living in Yonkers at the time, and I said, I'm never doing a soap opera. And I'm never doing a sitcom. And I'm never moving to California. So you can see I'm a, a, a woman of my word. And, and, I, and what happened was I, all the systems just broke down. And I said, I have to get out of the business. Oh. Because I can't, I don't know how to be of service and to find my way in the world. And I had to drop every picture I ever had about anything that I thought should be coming to me. Mm. I looked my, my nose down at everything. Mm. And it was a, a real diminishment that I felt in my soul about the way I was operating. Mm -hmm. I was disdainful, and that's why the, the review that, uh, I, didn't, I don't read reviews, but uh, um, Herb told me about this one review that, that he always loved, that when I did Who's the Boss? And the review said that I didn't look down at my material. Mm. And I just thought, that is like, I was a person who was doing their work, but what happened was I went to see a therapist because I was really, I was, I was in trouble and I didn't know where my next step was gonna be or what my life needed to be and I thought I have to get out of the business. And when I went to see this therapist, he said to me, the first thing he said, I said two things because I was extremely heavy. I was 50 pounds heavier than I am now. And I, I said, uh, I want, I, I've got to lose weight. I'm terrified of being in a, a, an intimate relationship for a long time. I've now been married to Robert for 31 years. And I, I want to get out of the business. And he said, okay, don't do anything until you see me next week. <laughs> <laughs> he, said, he said, something is going to happen. And I said, so you're a psychic and a therapist? And I was like... And I literally, you know, those were the days when we had the beepers. Right. And, the, and you're, so I got, a call, I got a call from my service. Billy's. Yes! Billy's service. No, it wasn't Billy's, was it? It was Billy's. Was it Billy's? Yes. Okay, good. All right. So just, it was, say, just say it. Okay, it was Billy's. It, just say it was Billy's. It was Billy's. And so I got a call, and I called my agent, and they said, you have an audition for a soap opera. And I said, no, no, no. I'm, no, we got the wrong girl. And she said, your unemployment is running out and you have no money. And it's $350 for the day. And I said, I'll go in. And it was 
to understudy somebody who was not feeling well and they were thinking, when I, I got there, I found out eventually that they were thinking of replacing her, but they had me, I just, I didn't go on that day, she was there, but I, I started to see what they were doing. Mm. And I started to see that there, the kind of work that they were doing, I mean, these were a lot of great New York actors and they were, and they were great artists and they were great actors and they were devoting themselves to, to doing this work that was really grueling. I mean, it was day after day after day. And all of a sudden, I said, wait a minute, maybe this is something I could do to find my way back in. Maybe I could take reaching more people that could make a difference that would really matter to me and maybe matter to them. And I, I went in for the audition. They asked me, even though I'd been there for the day as the understudy, they asked me to come in and audition. And I went in and I auditioned and I got the part. And it's that Robert Frost poem. It's like two roads diverged in the yellow wood, in the, in the wood. And I, I took the road less traveled by and that has made all the difference. And that has made all the difference because from where I was coming from before, I never, ever would have done that. Mm. And it changed my life completely. And I, I, it was just astonishing. And the same thing, in a sense, happened with Who's the Boss? I auditioned with Tony Danza and had the time of my life. Talk about that. Oh, my God, it was so... Again, I, you know, I went, even after I'd done One Life to Live, and I met Robert on One Life to Live, and Robert said, you know, you really need to leave here someday. And I said, why do I need to leave? Where am I going? <laughs> oh, I sounded like Shelley Pfefferman, didn't I? <laughs> And I said, I said, I, wait, what, I, I don't have to go. And he said, if you don't leave, you'll be pouring coffee for somebody else and talking about somebody else's storyline if you don't go. And he had been working in California and doing a lot of different stuff in television. And he said, you'll work out there. And I had met, uh, I mean, Herb and, and I had met each other by this time. And he and Jonathan were together and they were my management team. And they were... They said they were backing Robert up, and I said, who are you people? I thought you loved me. But anyway, so I, 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 I left One Life to Live, and I went out to California. And I went through the same thing, because I hadn't completely gotten the lesson that it's like, no, you've got to mean what you say. You've got to be a person of your word. And so here I was, going, getting up all these auditions for sitcoms. And it was like, I'm not doing a sitcom. And it's like, Herb said to me, what are you talking about? You just went through this with One Life to Live. What are you doing? And so, and I was going up for all these auditions and I wasn't getting anything. So I said to Herb, oh, I don't understand what's happening. What's happening here? Why am I not getting anything? He said, uh, you're a little angry. <laughs> he said, you're like walking into the room and you're like, really furious and you're pretending that they can't feel it and they can and they don't want to be around you. And I got it. And so there was this thing at the time that when you were going up for th different shows on the same network, and you'll probably remember this, I was up for three shows at one time. One was a show called Staff of Life. The other one was called Command Five, Nobody Laugh. And... Um, the third one was a thing called You're the Boss. And you had to put them in order of your choice, how you went in to audition for them and how they would uh, hold it if you... You had three, three... From ABC. Oh, my God. So they said, well, pick one to put in first place. Has anybody heard of Staff of Life? <laughs> That's the one I picked. Of course. However, the executives at ABC were so fantastic and so amazing. And what happened was I went in for Staff of Life and um, I was like, okay, great. And I said to Herb and Jonathan, okay, I went in for Staff of Life, that's great. I don't need to go in for You're the Boss. And Herb said, what are you talking about? You put them in second position, you they, you're gonna go do a taped audition with Bill Persky and Tony Danza and you got, you, 
He said, you're terrified. And I said, he said, get your stuff together and get to the damn audition. And I went to the audition and I fell head over heels in love with Tony Danza. I just, I mean, he was so wonderful to me and so remarkable. And I thought, oh my God, I have made the biggest mistake of my career. Because now I want to do the show and I want to do it with him. But I picked Staff of Life in first place. But the executives saw the tape that we did and they overrode my oh decision. My goodness. And that's how I came to do Who's the Boss? Wow. We, 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 have, we have some guardian angels out there. That yeah, we do. do. We uh, do. I want to talk about something because when I, I came on to, I, I guessed it on, on, um, you did. on, on your show. And uh, did I play twins? Yeah. Yes. No. You I did, you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> so somebody out there has a um, memory too. I, okay, good. That's my mother. <laughs> um, so I had the opportunity. Can imagine what it's like to work with him. Um, so I came on, and the, the astonishing thing, aside from Tony's notes to me, um, were um, no, I love Tony, um, uh, uh, was the fact that already by the time I had come on, which I think you were years into it, um, there was this family. And again, it was uh, something that I've always noticed about you. You create a family on, on our set as well, and we'll talk about that. But there was definitely a family where you were the mother, and you were taking care of those two little tchotchkes, and you were taking care of Tony, and you were taking care of me because I was playing a twin brother and had the opportunity to be twice as bad. Uh, and so I was, and you were, you were wonderful. Um, and now I know that, and we call them the boys, but um, you, uh, you have to explain to us because you have this sense of family and you have a very evolved sense of family. Can you talk about yourself and the boys and where did this sense of family come from? I, that's such a good question. Introduce the I, boys. Yes, I will. Um, my husband, Robert Desiderio, and my managers, Herb Hampshire and Jonathan Stoller. And they are a couple and they have been managing Robert and myself for 35 years. I have, I, I heard, I'll just give and you. And you sometimes yeah. live together. Yeah. I mean, right? well, we have a, a ha yes, we share a house in. You have a house. Yes. So we, we have, we have, we have, we have plenty of room. And yes. if anybody else would like to, if you... Just, you know, and Robert is an amazing cook. So you should think seriously about this. Yes. But the, the, the real, what happened was I heard Herb speak mm -hmm. um, at, I don't know how many of you, what age range were here. I can't see any of you really, but um, Buckminster Fuller was giving a talk at Town Hall. And I was there, and it's a longer story, but I met Herb there, and he said, I'm going to be giving a talk at um, Buckminster Fuller's World Game. You know, there's this thing called War Games that they have, and there, Bucky had, Bucky, Buckminster Fuller was all about creating a new world and, and a new framework and a new paradigm in the world. He is the one, for those of you who might not know, he created the geodesic dome. So anyway, so Herb said, I'm speaking at Bucky's World Game next week. Would you like to come? And we'll have lunch afterwards and we'll talk. And I said, I absolutely would. And I heard him speak. And everything in me said, that's the person that I have to be listening to. And because before that, and I, and I think partly that whole time before One Life to Live and that I was feeling so lost and really not finding my way in the world, um, I, I had thought, I, and I think this is true really of everybody, I think we all need family, I think we all need support, I think we all need guidance. And I knew that I really needed guidance. I knew that left to my own devices, I would do things that would shoot myself in the foot, that I would make the kinds of mistakes that I didn't need to make, but I needed guidance, <clears throat> excuse me, and I didn't know where to go for that. I didn't know how to go about that, and I, it was sort of miraculous. And I heard him speak and I said, it's him. Mm. That's who 
I need to listen to. And he was giving this brilliant talk uh, about, it was psychological and he was comparing it to Buckminster Fuller's geometry and, and I won't go into all of it now, but it was really extraordinary. And what's always fascinated me is the human condition and who we are and what drives us. And we have this unconscious that drives us into places that we don't want to go, and yet we go anyway. And everybody has had that experience, and we all know that. But for me, the understanding of the human being, the, 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 <clears throat> the, the treasure chest that we all are, I was fascinated by that. Listening to him, and I say, him, I, I want to listen to him. And I essentially said that to him. I said, I, this is, I want to listen to you. I want to hear what you have to say. So we started coming to One Life to Live, to the set. And we started talking about the scripts, and we started talking about how my psychology was at cross-purposes with some of the things that I was trying to accomplish <clears throat> on the, in, in the show on One Life to Live. And I knew I could be a better actor. And I wasn't yet, and I, but I knew that if I listened, I could get better. I could be a better person, and I could be a, a better actor. And one of the things I said to him when we first started working together was I said, I, if I ever get any kind of notoriety, I want, I want to do something with it. I want to make a difference in some way. I want to be of service in some way. I don't want to make this all about me and, you know, what, where I'm going to be or go or do. Or I, 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 want, I want it to be something more powerful, more dynamic, more, more deep, more substantive. Mm -hmm. And he said, that I can help you do. Wow. And then he met Jonathan, and they got together, and... Then we started all three of us talking, and then I met Robert. And then we all started talking, and we all realized that we had a very similar vision of the world and of life. And they have been my, my keystone, right. my, my, my rocks, my, my basis for my working to turn myself into the person I always wanted to be. Well, I think what makes good actors and good artists is, um, and I've always said that you're, you're a killer. Uh, in, in acting school, we used to always say, how, how, how are they, what, what's their level? And we go, oh, killer. Mm. Uh, Judith Light is mm. killer. After she leaves a scene, there's really nothing else to be done with mm. that scene. And you'd better, you'd better bring your game because her moves are quicksilver and, um, and you'd best beware. Um, and it's, uh, uh, but what I think we like and why a star is a star is because we, we feel safe, we feel confident. And so I've always been interested in the boys. And I remember you guys, when they would, we, we, we had opera seats near each other, remember? I do. Um, and uh, I would remember it was like a corporation taking their seats. <laughs> they were just, they were so confident. They were so and enjoying it. And I I said whatever they're you know I, I feel like you know Estelle Reiner. I'll have what they're having. <laughs> uh, and uh, whatever they're, you bring that on onto the set. Um, I want to ask you one more question before we get into transparent. So so there you have your success, and there you have your you know your 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 you know your red carpet and your who's a who's a who's a, and, and then but you have chosen to also um, uh, come to New York and to do Broadway. And this is her night off. She's doing Therese Rican beautifully right now. And, um, um, and you've, you've had two Tonys. Mm -hmm. And I hear also that you also just get a Tony for actually attending the theaters. Yes, so you're quite committed. So what, what's that all about? I mean, in other words, you don't have to do theater, and you do not have to do eight shows a week. So what, and there are young actors here, I'm sure. What's, what's that about? Oh, that's also a really good question. Um, back when I was uh, doing One Life to Live, and then when I was doing Who's the Boss, and I did Who's the Boss for eight years. And when I finished, I was like, okay, now you know, I'll do another television show or I'll do another movie of the week. or, And those things started to drift away. Mm -hmm. 
And Herb had said to me, you know, you need to change the way people perceive you. And he said, you need to go back to the theater where we started. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, I, don't, I don't think so. This is the man I had sworn I was going to listen to. I said, no, no, that's a really bad idea. And he said, no, really, you, you do. You need to change the way people perceive you. And so I was offered uh, to audition for this play uh, that Jonathan Tollins wrote. Jonathan Tollins, who wrote Buyer and Seller, he wrote this play called If Memory Serves. And it was about an aging sitcom star, which I thought was a really bad idea. <laughs> now, Herb thought it was a really good idea. And I essentially said to him, well, you know, you can get off the boat, so because that's not a good idea. And he said to what he said to me before. <clears throat> he said, you're afraid. Mm -hmm. And I realized that he was right. I was not only afraid, I was terrified. Of what? I didn't think I could do it. Mm -hmm. I didn't think I had the vocal chops to go back, <laughs> to, go back to it, right? Yeah. I mean, I didn't know that I wanted to do eight shows a week. Mm -hmm. I just, I just didn't, I did, and it was like I had gotten lazy. I was, I was, I was like, you know, I'm doing television now. And I was like, I went back to the same place that I had gotten, that I had been before. I didn't get the lesson. Mm -hmm. And I knew that he was right. And so what ended up happening was I called him and I said, you're right, I'm afraid, I'm gonna go in for it. He said, too bad, they cast it. <laughs> and so I said, okay, the next thing that comes up for me to audition for, I am going to audition for it and I'm going to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put myself out there because I'm living a life that's not courageous. I'm not being the person, again, that I wanted to be. And here I am doing a lot of advocacy for the LGBTQ community, right. and I'm telling them how inspiring they are and how courageous they are, and I'm not living like that. I'm just talking about it. <clears throat> Next thing that came up, <clears throat> excuse me, was a play called Wit. And in the play, <clears throat> in this play, You have to, in the contract, it says you have to shave your head and be naked on stage. And I'm like, okay. I said I would go up for it, and I will. And I read this script, this brilliant piece by Margaret Edson, who won the Pulitzer Prize for it. And I'm reading it, and I'm weeping at the end of this play. And it says at the end of the play, and she is naked and beautiful in the light. And I close the script, and I'm crying, and I go, she is what? <laughs> and I go, okay. I said I would do it. And it was Bernie Telsey and Daryl Roth and the people at MCC, Bobby Lapone and the whole gang. And I had to fly into New York. Mm. And I believe I had come to an event for our dear friend Mary Fisher, and who is, happens to be here tonight. And I came to the event for Mary, and I went in for the audition, and I thought, they're never gonna give it to me. This is great. I'll keep my word. I'll tell Herb I'm gonna go in for it. This is really good. And then they offered it to me. And so I ended up doing it, and it, again, it was one of those road less traveled. It changed everything. Mm -hmm. And so then I kept coming back to the theater and coming back, and then finally, I went in for an audition for a play that everybody said to me the part was too small. And Herb said to me, it was the play Lombardi that I did with Dan Loria. And, and I walk into the room and I see this curly-haired young man who makes me feel warm and welcome and comfortable, and I do this audition and it ends up being Tommy Kale, who just directed Hamilton. And, and he gave me the part in the room. Oh, my goodness. And I just, and then I was nominated for a Tony, and I was at the Tony luncheon, and I'm sitting next to Joe Mantello, and I had done a reading of a Richard Greenberg play on a Sunday while we were in the middle of doing Lombardi. Of course, you want to do a reading in the middle of doing an eight-show week. And I, I just kept saying yes. Mm -hmm. And 
Joe heard me in this reading, and Joe thought that Linda Lavin might be leaving other desert cities, and he said, I think maybe in his head that she could do it if we move to Broadway if Linda doesn't come with the show. And they offered me other desert cities. And then Richard Greenberg wrote the assembled parties for Jessica Hecht and myself. And it was, it was one of those things that just, it's that kind of thing that when you don't pre-plan everything or mm -hmm. make it be something, but that there's a larger goal. Right. And we've talked about this before. You have something else, like when we're doing Transparent, that right. matters. You know, like you always say, lives are at stake. And we're, the satisfaction of that is so much bigger than anything else. It's just, it's astonishing to me. So, how did Transparent happen with you? Our agent, Bobby Gersh. Oh, that's right. Said, uh, there's this script, and uh, Jill Soloway would like to have a Skype call with you, because I was doing the assembled parties at the time. And I went to the office here in New York, and I talked to her for 45 minutes, and she told me you were doing it. And I, we had done this uh, series um, called 20 Good Years that Jeffrey and John Lithgow were starring in, and I played his girlfriend on the show. And I so wanted to work with him again, and I knew you were in it, and she was telling me all of what it was about, and then we started talking about the advocacy and what it could do and how it was her parent and how it could change the culture and save lives. And we spent 45 minutes talking about that. And can you talk about how, because you are, as the French say, you are engaged as an artist and as a person. And can you talk about how that engagement and this role have merged? If I could have designed it, I could not have designed it better. The advocacy that started for me with HIV and AIDS and the height of the AIDS pandemic in the 80s, when we were losing so many people in the theater community and, and we were losing so many friends, and I saw what was happening and I saw the level of homophobia that was so prevalent uh, in the world and when two presidents never said the word AIDS and our friends were dying and we were going to the hospital and parents of young men rejected them and let them die alone because that they were when they found out that they were gay and had AIDS and so what I began to see and realize that I had to say something about was the level of injustice and the level of bigotry and divisiveness that made me sick inside is not really the accurate expression, but I felt that we lived in a country that said it was a country of compassion mm -hmm. and that we are people of compassion. Mm -hmm. And if there was a flood or a hurricane, the president would run to take care of the people and tell them everything was going to be all right. And my friends were dying, and we couldn't get them the medications that they needed. And I watched a community turn itself inside out to be there for each other. I mean, the lesbians and the gay, the lesbians said, get out of the way. We're gonna, we're gonna do this. We're gonna help you. And the drag queens and the, the, the transgender people and everybody. And I watched this community and I said, my God, I, this is the community that I wanna be a part of. Mm -hmm. When I was a little girl and going to uh, drama camps, it was the gay men that looked out for me that were there. And I never, I didn't know what it was at the time, but I never forgot it. And to get, to have that part of my life and to see what was happening and to watch the community become this 
amazing community of leaders and people who are not victims and take themselves up to another level, I said, that's the people I want to be with. That's the kind of person I want to be. And then to have transparent and get to do what we do is breathtaking to me. You, you created Shelley, and um, I'm very interested. Do you have a method of, of, of working? Do you have a method of creating a character? Because I, I actually watched you uh, build that character. <laughs> I'm laughing at that, your first wig. Um, and uh, we had, we, we worked with uh, Joan. Um, um, Shekel. Shekel. And, uh, oh, you're such a trooper. She, we, 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 we rehearsed, <laughs> it would all come up. And <laughs> it was 190 Oh my God, you're going to talk about it. What? Go ahead. And you put this wig on yeah. and you da we danced and we rehearsed and everything like that. <laughs> and I, I went, whatever that is, <laughs> is a real trooper because you just investigate. You just, there are no... Um, no holds barred. How, how do you approach your work? It, it, that's so... Uh-oh. This is how it happens. This is how your career... It ends. Oh, I thought, I thought they were going to replace me. Oh. <laughs> you can never tell, you know. Okay. I have... Well, that's another story. I... It's so interesting to me that you should say that because... That is exactly the way I feel about you. Joan Shekel is this woman who does this, this workshop and lab in Los Angeles, and Jill Soloway had worked with her on her film, uh, Afternoon Delight, when Jill won Best Director at Sundance. And Jill said, excuse me, to all of us, she said, you guys need to work with Joan, and we're all gonna go work with Joan. Now, Joan is about getting out of your head and into your feeling and into your body. And when you saw, which I'm sure most of you have in this room, we've seen the pilot of Transparent. And everybody said to us, oh, they're a family. They're instantly a family. Well, that is a lot of work that came from Jill and from Joan and from our incredible writers. But I believe that unless you give somebody everything, they can't do anything. Right. It's like, I've said that to theater directors too. I said, I'm gonna throw out all these ideas that I have. You pick and choose what you want, but I will give you everything. And I will give you as much or as little feeling as you want. I, sometimes I do too much, pull me back. And I always say to them, keep an eye on me. You are my eyes. Don't let me go someplace where you don't want me to go. Mm. And so, you know, the scene that Jill, that we were doing where we came to, you, you came to see Shelley and we had the chicken. We sat and we ate the chicken. <laughs> you have no idea how, when you have someone who supports you the way that he does, you can do all of these things because there's no judgment. And, the, and that's also another thing that I really think is in, really important about the dynamics of what, what we get to do and Jill and our entire team is like that. And every, one of the things Jeffrey says is that everywhere you look on that set, Jay Duplass, Amy Landecker, Gabby Hoffman, now Angelica Houston, uh, Cherry Jones, Catherine Hahn, I mean, Aunt Rob Hubel, you could go on and on. Everywhere you look, there is genius and there is safety. And so I just think that if you put a lot out, they can always cut you back, but they can't make you do more. So we're doing the scene with the chicken and Jill <clears throat> is so hands-on and she is discovering that scene as we're discovering it. And she said, oh my God, now, and all the kids had come into the scene and you were there sitting in that violet, hellacious looking chair, couch thing. Jill said, I know what the scene is about. It's about the chicken. And what she meant was, if you focus on that, then whatever you have to say to each other will something very natural and organic will unfold. Sure. And there was something so powerful in that whole dynamic. 
And the way you listened to me, that brought out this whole other aspect of what was going on. And I don't know if you remember Jill yelling from the other room. The last time I did the take, where I was screaming, I said, you kids never come to see me. He's the only one that comes to see me. And you go, she. Mm. And then I say, and he's the only one who supports me. And you very quietly said, she. And why isn't anybody else coming? I don't, <clears throat> excuse me, remember all of the lines. And I think the last time I think I said she. And then she screamed for the other room. She said, now say it from your guts. And that's the kind of work that I love to do. We had a take um, uh, on the Yom Kippur scene. And we were doing the scene, and Judith was doing it just beautifully. And then Jill came out. Oh. She whispered something. I don't know what she whispered in your ear. And it was just like, blah, blah, blah. The next thing that happened was this sound, this wail that I, I have never heard. It was, it sounded, it came from like a bass note into this, this keening, this geshrai that I have never. And it was startling. It stopped. And the ability that you have, she's a brilliant technician, but she also has this support system that says, go, just go, go. And if the young actors out there, or old actors, um, um, she, you, have, you have go in you. You don't, you don't judge, and you just say, send that to the editor, send that to the editor. I, I trust you. The thing was, also, then we would you know, stand down a little bit, and we would you know, talk and everything, and then we'd shoot it, and then this keening would come up, take after take after take. And I remember looking at you, mm. and, you and I said, I can't do what you do. I cannot. I, you know, it's just amazing. Now, listen to me. What she said to me was, bring grief into the room. Now that's a note. That's a note. Yeah, but she didn't say to... To, to, to shry like that. No, she, <laughs> she didn't say to turn it into a technical tour de force of acting, which was brilliant. And um, you are brilliant. Why do you think... This, oh, we're going to do questions from the audience. <laughs> so I just, um, are you in for that? You know that? And then we'll, we'll all go back to the hotel and, uh, and, and we'll partake of the mini bar. And <laughs> I'm so honored to be here and to, to, to be in your company. And you are everything. Um, um, you're an inspiration. You really are. Uh, why do you think Transparent is such a hit and resonating with so many people? I think because it is not only about the content, which is about a transformation and of a transgender person. But it is about a person who is choosing to live a courageous, authentic life and bringing that to their family and saying, will you still love me if I tell you who I really am? And I don't know that there is anyone in this room or actually in the world who doesn't have something like that in their family and I think this show is about the family. Mm -hmm. But Mora is the way shower. And I think everybody can relate to that. And I think because Jeffrey gives you a way into that, it tells the story in a way that breaks everybody's heart wide open. And I think that's really why this, this show is doing as well as it is. And I think the other thing, too, is that we have taken nothing for granted. We all come and live in such gratitude for this job and this show and these people that I think that makes a difference, and I think you feel it um, at an energetic level when you watch the show. And on season two, you, you shine. And the, uh, my character is more uh, a gateway character to all of your stories. And now it's, it's truly, truly an ensemble uh, show. And as you say, there is genius holding down the fort. Everywhere. Uh, e everywhere. everywhere. It truly is an inspiration. After the first reading, table reading of the pilot, Jeffrey and I both turned to each other and said, we'd never been at, this is the best table read that we had ever been to in our entire career. And what did I text you after the bathroom scene? <laughs> He said, it doesn't get any better than this. <laughs> and, and he made me feel so safe and so taken care of and so protected. And so did Jill. 
And it wasn't that that bathroom scene is not just about Shelley. That bathroom scene is about a relationship. And it's about her conflict as well as Shelley's process. And that's what makes those things so beautiful. I actually texted you, it doesn't get better than this. Is that what you said? Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't get better than this. Yeah, because you were so sensational. Jill kept bringing in soap suds. Oh, it was so, so uh, We had four people on the set. That's we right. held hands before. Oh, that, I forgot. That was one of the po most powerful things. I know it sounds all Woodstocky to you and, and all like that, <laughs> but it wasn't because we were all no. terrified. I, she's in soap suds. I'm in a, a black oh, bathing suit. Right. So right. we were both shaking. Yeah. Jill was there. Jim Frona, our wonderful uh, Jimmy director, Frona. got in the bathtub with you. In the bathtub with us, yeah, yeah. But you were so, so terrific. You were just that was, uh, you know, you, we mm -hmm. we were just we yes. just eyed it all the way. Yeah, and you know what else is is really important to say about that too is that we talked about it very openly. No holes barred. We talked about everything about it in relation to it. Um, how I told him and Jill how terrified I was. And he was nervous too. And we just, we talked the whole thing through yeah. prior to doing it. But the, that moment of us just standing there together, holding hands in that tiny bathroom yeah. was really potent. Judith, you are truly one of the most gracious actresses I've ever met. This is a good question. How do you stay so thankful and down to earth? Oh, well, I have the boys, <laughs> you know? I mean, that's part of it. Also, I didn't like who I was before and I didn't like the way I was living and I, 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 I felt in a lot of ways like the world owed me a living. It was like, they owed me. And I don't know why that was so, but I was, like I said, I looked down my nose at everything. And I, I think when I made those, those discoveries about myself and who I was being that I didn't like who I was being, I said, how can I not be grateful for everything that comes my way? Why am I being so disdainful? And why, why not be grateful? What, there's two choices. You can be gracious and thankful and grateful, or you can not be, or you can pretend to be and not be. But I wanted to live in a body, in a world, in myself with other people, that was more true, and I wanted it. I wanted it to be. I wanted to be the way I am mm -hmm. now, and I. That's what I always go back to. There, there's this movie out, a, a gorgeous movie written by, uh, written and no, written and directed by Robert Zemeckis called The Walk, and it's about oh. the walk at the uh, the Twin Towers. Of right. that of this Frenchman, it's a fantastic movie. Oh yes, oh right, of course, right. And I was thinking today, you know, and by the way, I've spent all day studying you. Thank you, darling. I'm exhausted. <laughs> I had no. I mean, I mean, it's you've been in so many things. Was Kojak your first show? That was my first show. No. I swear to you. We. Yeah, my mouth froze. I was. It was. I was terrible. I was terrible. Oh, no, no, I was terrible. <laughs> I was really. I'll show you mine if you no, show mine, me yours. My, <laughs> I'll show you mine. My mouth froze on the take because it was so cold. Oh God. And I was like a talking tuchus. That's what I was, <laughs> I could, this is my life. It was him. horrible. Did, uh, did what you, was, was your he, first? Wasn't he nice to you? No, no one was nice to me. No, really? no one. I was. We'll, we'll cut print, and that was it. <laughs> It's out oh, there. I have to see it. I have to ask. So, yes. so what, the walk, we all yeah. have a walk in yeah. our life where we go, this is that moment. I'm either going to walk across that, I can think of mine, everybody can think of theirs, where you go, I'm either going to get through this moment right. and I'm going to walk across to that other tower right. or I'm not. Right. What was your walk? I think my walk was that, um, that thing that I was talking about when I was so lost in my life. And when I didn't know how I was going to get from one place to the next in terms of who I would be if I gave up this work that I had done all of my life. Mm -hmm. And 
it was at that point, and then when I met her, that all of that shifted. Because one of the things that happened was I had thrown my back out and I, was, I couldn't walk and I was lying on my bed in this apartment that was this big in New York and I was just lying there and I just said it out loud. I just said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up everything and just who, who, who's ever up there, who's ever out there, whoever you are, if you're not out there, whatever, I'm just putting it out there. Just guide me. Just somebody, somebody guide me. And I said, and if I give all of this up, you better send help. <laughs> and it was literally right after that that I'm, that I got one life to live and I met her. And so I think if I hadn't gone through that, it was a crisis of, of faith and it was a crisis of life. And I knew that, and I believe, really do believe this, I believe that we are all here for a purpose. Yeah. I really do believe that we are here, and I know you do too, that we are here to, we're one humanity and we're here to serve each other. And I had lost that. I was so focused on myself and what I was getting and what I wasn't getting and how I could get it that it actually, that was the moment where I said, if I can get through this, if I can make it through, then something else can happen. Something else will be revealed. And it was. Okay. Um, I think this is going to be our penultimate. Uh, this is a hysterical question. Oh, my God. You stole every scene on Dallas. Was it as much fun to make as it was for us to watch? And then it says, this question is for Judith. <laughs> oh my God, whoever you are, I love you so much. I think it's that woman. That's in the brilliant. Third That's so fabulous. I didn't know you were on Dallas. No. <laughs> oh my God, it was so much. Mm, no, fun. Not, not the word. You know, it's interesting because I never... Somebody said to me, um, are you having fun doing this Broadway show that I'm doing now? And it's like, no, these things are not fun for me. Transparent is not fun. No. Um, it is deep and challenging and complicated. The, the, the part on Dallas was just delicious. I mean, it was really an interesting thing for me to take on and to get to go be with that really terrific group of, of people and actors and writers. And I really enjoyed it tremendously. And they were so responsive to me. They would, you know, they gave me all these different things to do and they were expanding the character. And, and, and I just really got to have mm. this very rich time and create another really great character because that's what I love to do. I love getting these just like you do, these characters that we search our own process and soul to discover. You know, the thing that you've talked about, you said you've never been more Jeffrey than you are now. And that comes from that kind of work and connection that makes the service of what I think we get to do so remarkable and such a privilege. Right. And I think that's also why I'm so grateful. I, I hold this as a privilege, mm. that we get to give a performance, that we get to give to the audience a person in whatever place they are in their life that can give you an insight into that human being. Yeah. And that maybe we'll all understand each other and have compassion for each other more by understanding that. Well, what I'm doing here tonight is, um, because there's a payback in life, uh, and I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm paying back, and I, I think this is how we can sum up the evening and who you are and why we, why we, why we go to you, the artist, and why we always trust you, and why, uh, why, why you are being uh, awarded and people are talking about Judith Light and people are trusting Judith Light. When I first came to New York and she was pretty much in this, that state that she was talking about. By the way, we are going to pass out the name of that therapist. <laughs> um, um, 
He's dead. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Not this therapist. Anyway, so I came to New York and I was very nervous and I had my bag and I, I stayed downstairs in the downstairs apartment. Remember that apartment? I and um, I was, I was going to conquer Broadway. I was scared. I had left my, my family in Milwaukee and I said, I'll tell you if I get a job, come on ahead. And what did you do for me the first night in New York? I want you to know that I had forgotten this story. And when we gave him an, an honor at the Point Foundation this year, he spoke about this and I had forgotten it. I took him to the Carlisle Hotel to hear Bobby Short. First night in New York. First night in New York. And what did you whisper in my ear? Do you remember or do you want me to say it? You say it. It's not gonna be like this. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I just want to thank you, and I want to express our gratitude and our love for Judith Light, and thank you for the gift of being Judith, and thank you for so much that you're giving to us and changing the world because it needs it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. 92Y Talks is supported by a generous endowment established by Daphne Reconati Kaplan and Thomas S. Kaplan. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and find more great conversations on 92yondemand.org.